Hi everyone, and welcome to CNA Newsroom. We're releasing this episode on January 19th, 2021. Tomorrow is Inauguration Day. The chances are quite good that by the time you listen to this, whatever is going to happen on January 20th, 2021 will have already happened. Right now, we're seeing the same headlines and photos you are. Troops headed for the Capitol. Beefed up security. We don't know any better than you do what might happen tomorrow, but we, like you, are praying for peace. Catholic News Agency has long been committed to covering politics from an authentically Catholic perspective. That won't change, no matter who's in the Oval Office. But this episode is not about the election, and it's not about Donald Trump or Joe Biden. This week on CNA Newsroom, we attempt to scratch the surface of a complicated and controversial question. How should Catholics engage in politics? We'll speak to several Catholics who are doing just that. You're listening to the podcast that brings you the people behind the headlines. I'm your host this week, Jonah McKeown. Stay tuned. This is Brian Carroll. He's a retired history teacher from California. I have uh, a wife of 47 years, uh, 14 grandchildren, uh, too many hobbies, and uh, basically that's who I am. Brian has led an interesting life. Over his 43-year career teaching history, he spent time living in South America and China. Oh, and add to that resume, he ran for president of the United States in 2020. And retired from teaching when I knew that I was probably going to be running for president. In a handful of states, Brian and his running mate Amar Patel appeared on the ballot, not far below Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Brian had previously run for Congress in his home state of California in 2018. And I had a good time. It was fun. Uh, But I got uh, 1.4%. I beat the Libertarian. But other than that, he didn't really have any political experience. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any committee. Didn't have, uh, you know, any of the things that you're supposed to have, a ground game. Brian is a member of the American Solidarity Party, a third party whose platform aligns pretty well with the Catholic faith. So much so that the party is attracting Catholics throughout the country. Obviously, the coronavirus pandemic made campaigning for the presidency difficult. Even before the pandemic, turnout at ASP meetings throughout the country was low, but growing. Since 2020, the party has gained a handful of notable converts, including Charles Camosi, a former board member for Democrats for Life of America. And uh, we appreciate all the new people that are finding us. And obviously, once the election is over, it's, it's natural to expect that some of that will disappear. Uh, We got a lot of people in 2016, and a lot of those people disappeared in 2017. And so our goal now is to try and engage uh, the new people uh, in in long-term strategies. The party began in 2011 as the Christian Democracy Party USA. Though the American Solidarity Party of today is not explicitly religious, its platform rests on several principles drawn from Catholic social teaching. Brian's not Catholic, but he is a very committed evangelical Christian. He found that he already aligned with a lot of the ASP's positions even before he joined the party. He just didn't know it yet. 
For example, the ASB's platform includes a commitment to the economic system known as distributism, which emphasizes a more widespread ownership of the economy through tax rewrites to help small businesses, mom-and-pop stores, and family farms, rather than large corporations. It's an economic system championed by notable Catholics such as G.K. Chesterton. Another principle, subsidiarity, comes from Catholic social teaching. Basically, the idea is that local authorities are best suited to tackle local issues. Brian had never heard the words distributism or subsidiarity before he joined the ASP, but when he read the description, he realized he was essentially already on board with the ideas. Those who are in the, the Catholic tradition, I think, have a better handle on the vocabulary, uh, subsidiarity, and the other vocabulary that, that Protestants don't deal with very much. Uh, it was new to me. Uh, as an evangelical, I read through it and said, I believe in all these things, but there's, a little, there's some vocabulary that I need to learn. And when I looked at the vocabulary, I said, oh yeah, I'm glad that has a name. That's a good idea. Uh, so there's some of that. And, and because I travel in a lot of evangelical circles, uh, I rub shoulders with a lot of people that have that same empty area in their vocabulary that we're trying to fill now with, the, with words that the Catholics have known for a long time. Many people are drawn to the ASP because of its pro-life positions. The party platform calls for an end to legal protection for abortion, and it supports social services for mothers in need. But the party says that pro-life convictions must also include opposition to euthanasia, assisted suicide, embryonic stem cell research, and the death penalty. The big one that draws most people to the party is a well-rounded pro-life position. And it's tied in with uh, a feeling that uh, social justice is very much a pro-life issue as well. Because if you have, you know, once the baby is born, if you don't have the social safety net, if you don't have racial equality, you, you're not offering that child uh, the quality of life that we want to offer them. I definitely first heard about the ASP back in the 2016 election, when I think a lot of people were looking for some kind of alternative way to vote. Folks who were had a strong commitment, you know, for example, to the pro-life movement, but could see in Trump a president who certainly didn't have a, a heartfelt commitment to protecting the vulnerable, whether in the womb or anywhere else. If you listen to last week's episode, you'll recognize this voice. It's Leah Labresco Sargent, who, in addition to being a Catholic author and a mother, serves on the ASP's advisory board. She says she admires the party's commitment to principle and encouraged Catholics to examine other political parties beyond just Republican and Democrat. We're free to be saints and we're free to engage well with the people around us. And that's what politics is, you know, caring for your community, finding ways to do that in a structured way. And if you don't like what, you know, your party is offering you, then find a different way to do the work of politics. Uh, don't give up or say that you only have bad choices. I think, you know, uh, the biggest thing you would, you would hear from people, well, I'm with you and I love your platform, but, uh, you know, you can't, you can't win. Right, like there's no path to winning. I have to go with somebody that can win. This is Amar Patel, a Catholic and the ASP's vice presidential candidate and former chairman. 
It hardly needs to be said, but Brian and Amar never expected to win the presidency, nor even to capture any significant chunk of the vote away from the Republican or Democratic candidates. Instead, they say their goals right now are to build up their party in local areas and raise awareness that there is an alternative for people of faith who don't want to vote Republican or Democrat. No, neither of the parties address the, the issues that need to be addressed. They don't answer all of the requirements of what, uh, you know, the, the two great commandments, you know, loving God first and loving neighbor uh, as you love yourself. I mean, like, it, it doesn't uh, come close for those two parties. And I think the ASP platform and um, if you can break free of your biases, right, like that, that when you read something, you don't automatically knee jerk it to, well, that's a Democrat thing. It's like, well, is it a right thing or it's, is it not a right thing? Brian and Amar are both adamant that a party like the ASP is something that many Christians, deep down, really want, if they really stop to think about it. They may not understand our vocabulary, they may not understand our immediate logic, but the general goals, every, everybody I think is, is going to be in favor of the general goals. If you vote for something that you don't want and you win, have you really won? I don't think so. I think democracy works best when people identify what they want and vote for it. Amar said the ASP is working to break the narrative that if you're pro-life, you have to be a Republican, and if you want to love the poor, you have to be a Democrat. I think people of faith uh, and uh, you know, people who would consider themselves to perhaps be conservative uh, should consider, what am I trying to conserve? He said, in his opinion, the most important things to conserve in a society are friends, family, and faith. True conservative really wants to conserve the depth of the relationships that mean something to them, which starts with your family, um, extends into your neighbors, hopefully, and then obviously into your, your faith life. Catholic social teaching constantly reminds us that that we are part, the whole purpose of church, right, and, and Christ and his genius established church because he knew that we needed each other. Above all, Brian says Christians need to realize that their politics ought to flow from their faith, not the other way around. We have to keep Christ front and center in our lives uh, or we're lost. Uh, you know, well, how can you tell if you're a Christian? Well, you're against abortion. Well, that's not the Christian message either. It's, it's a corollary. I think it belongs in the, the picture, the big picture of a person's life. Uh, but we have to remember that that's not the most important thing. And the goal is not to elect a president. The goal is not even to eliminate specific ills in our society. The goal is to give testimony to the part that Jesus plays in our life on a daily basis. We, we need to be both paying attention to national politics, but we also have to be protecting our own hearts. We have to be looking at advancing Christ's kingdom, not as a theocracy, but as a, you know, everybody looking out for their neighbor, keeping our eyes, you know, keep looking up. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, and we want to be ready when he comes back. And he's going to say, well, what have you done? You know, what have you done with the message that I gave you? What have you done with the commandments I left you with? And there is a legitimate political outlet for that. But we also have to keep in mind that the political outlet is not the ultimate outlet. 
Leah recommends anyone interested in the principles behind the ASP should study them and try to implement them in their local community. I think the big thing is what you were just talking about, not to underrate what you can do on the local level, you know, not to let the the noise and heat of national politics eclipse the fact that there's a lot we can do if you're frustrated with your options nationally. That doesn't mean that you don't have a lot of good work to do on the ground where you are. So I think for a lot of folks, that's a great place to start locally. Um, and then you'll get some of the experience to do more nationally, but we don't want to, especially as Catholics, let whatever is loudest attract all our attention when it's often the things that are small and less newsworthy that require sustained work too. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Luke Coppin. I'm the Europe Editor for Catholic News Agency, based in England. Catholic News Agency has bureaus across the globe, one on nearly every continent. From my base here in the UK, I oversee our coverage of the Vatican and the Pope. When I'm not editing stories, I enjoy listening to CNA Newsroom, because with its bold and imaginative storytelling, it takes me beyond the headlines and into the lives of extraordinary Catholics in the United States and elsewhere around the world. If you like what you hear on CNA Newsroom, please subscribe to the programme on your favourite podcast app. It's available for free on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify and many others. To subscribe, simply open your phone's podcast app, search for CNA Newsroom and tap subscribe. And please, when you subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And now, sit back and relax, pour a cup of tea and enjoy the rest of the programme. My fellow Americans and the people who brought me the dance, Delawareans. On November 7th, Joe Biden took to the stage in Wilmington, Delaware, for a victory speech after media outlets projected him winner of the 2020 presidential race. The people of this nation have spoken. Biden spoke of healing in America an end to racial injustice, and getting the coronavirus under control. At the end of his speech, Biden, a Catholic, quoted a hymn that he said has always meant a lot to him and to his family. It captures the faith that sustains me, and which I believe sustains America. And it goes like this. And he will raise you up on eagle's wings, bear you on the breath of dawn, and make you just sign like the sun and hold you in the palm of his hand. And now together, on Eagle's Wing, we embark on the work that God and his have called upon us to do. There's a lot of talk about Joe Biden being our second Catholic president. So it's going to be very clear early on uh, if he does move on with executive orders with respect to abortion. That's going to be very problematic, especially as a as a Catholic. This is Dan Lipinski. He's a former U.S. representative out of the Chicago area. Lipinski, like Biden, is a Democrat. He also shares Biden's Catholic faith. 
But Biden and Lipinski differ in their views in one key area. Biden has made it clear that while he opposes abortion personally, politically, he's strongly pro-choice. Lipinski, on the other hand, is widely known for his pro-life convictions. Ironically, Lipinski was voted out of his office the same year Joe Biden was voted in. I knew that I was never going to change my my position on abortion and, and protecting life. Honestly, I never believed that it was worthwhile to protect a seat in Congress, uh, to protect my uh, position in Congress, no matter how much I, I, I loved the job, was honored to uh, represent the people of the 3rd District. It just wasn't worth it to me to, to give up what I knew was, was right. Dan Lipinski served in the House of Representatives for 16 years, representing a district on the southwest side of Chicago. He remembers thinking as early as college that he would be interested in getting into politics. His father was on the Chicago City Council and worked in Congress for 22 years. But instead of running for office right out of college, Lipinski earned his Ph.D. in political science after two engineering degrees. I thought I was going to be teaching political science for the rest of my life. And when my father retired, I still say to this day, I'm not exactly sure what it was at the moment. Um, but uh, I said, you know, I'd, I'd like to, to step forward and throw my hat in, in the ring and see how I can do. And I uh, was elected to, uh, to Congress. During those 16 years in office, Lipinski worked on legislation on a variety of issues. I am very proud that there are 18 bills that I authored that, uh, that became law. Being in Congress, I'm supposed to be a legislator. I'm supposed to be making laws and, and trying to make things better for my constituents and, and, and for the country. And also to help so many individuals uh, through constituent service of, of my office. You know, there's a, a lot of things that a member of Congress can do to help people. And lawmaking is only, you know, is only part of that. There are a lot of people that I helped uh, with uh, immigration cases or with their Social Security or Medicare or, or veterans. There's so many ways that I was able to, to help people. He also became known for his Catholic faith during his time in office. I'm a cradle Catholic. I went to Catholic school, grade school, high school, and I certainly taught in school, at church, and by my family, the, the value of service. I attended a Jesuit high school, and uh, the idea of serving others was something that uh, we, were, we were taught every day. Especially during his last few years in office, Lipinski said more and more people would pull him aside to thank him for never compromising on his faith. And that, you know, meant more to me than, than anything, that uh, I, I could be a good public witness for, for, for the faith. Having the opportunity to be on the national stage and for people to really recognize me as a, a Catholic trying to live his Catholic faith uh, to the best of his ability it was more important to me than anything. Lipinski said his Catholic faith guided his approach to the issue of abortion. He became known as one of the last standing pro-life Democrats in Congress. Being pro-life and a Democrat didn't used to be so lonely. Lipinski said Congress was a different world back in 2004 when he was first elected. I was still in the minority, but I always like to point out to people that 
back in 2009, uh, the first time the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare passed the House, there was the uh, Stupak-Pitts Amendment. Which prevented taxpayer dollars from being spent on elective abortion or insurance that covered elective abortion. Anyway, 64 Democrats voted for that amendment. 64 Democrats voted against taxpayer funding for abortion. Things look pretty different these days. I think uh, there may be a handful, a small handful of Democrats who would support that uh, in the House today. With my loss last year and Colin Peterson in uh, Minnesota, uh, there really are no Democrats left that are 100% pro-life. Lipinski lost his seat last March in a primary race against Marie Newman. He said that night, the night he knew he lost the primary, it was difficult for him. But it's actually the next day that he remembers best. The next day I had people uh, contacting me and, and thanking me for standing up for my principles, um, staying true to uh, my Catholic faith. And uh, I knew that um, God was calling me to, to something bigger. Lipinski is working on a book about being Catholic in the public square today. And, and encouraging Catholics to uh, stay true to their, their Catholic faith in a world right now that's very tough, uh, in, a, in a very... Uh, bipolar, uh, tribal society where Catholics don't fit in uh, neatly to either the two tribes to remain faithful to, to being Catholic. I think it's especially important right now for Catholics not to just decide, okay, I'm in this tribe or that tribe, to stand apart as, as Catholic and inform and teach about what the Catholic faith has taught us uh, about the dignity of every individual and how we uphold that. I asked Lipinski how he managed to never compromise on his pro-life beliefs all these years. He told me that, quite frankly, it was never an option for him. And he worries about the future of his party if it continues on its current path. I'm very concerned about the direction the party has gone uh, when it comes to the abortion issue, when it comes to family issues a protection of religious liberty. Uh, this is something that uh, I'm going to continue to be outspoken on. Uh, the, the party uh, really needs to recognize people who are, are pro-life and, and respect their, their, their position, and at the very least, uh, not support taxpayer funding of abortion. And so that's going to be another big test for, for the party. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Kate Oliveira. Why are you doing this, Judge Barrett? Why not just say thanks but no thanks, leave it for somebody else? This is a very difficult process. Actually, I think I would use the word excruciating. Um, over as 2020 wound down, the nation watched as the Senate conducted hearings for Amy Coney Barrett, a Catholic mother of seven. Barrett had been nominated to the Supreme Court to replace longtime Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who passed away in September. Everybody knows the confirmation process is very difficult. And so for me to say, you know, I'm not willing to undertake it, even though I think this is something important, um, would be, you know, a little cowardly. And, you know, I wouldn't be answering a call to serve my country in the way that I was asked. 
Barrett was by no means the first Catholic to undergo a confirmation hearing in front of the U.S. Senate, but as far as we know, there haven't been that many Catholic priests confirmed by the Senate. I was unanimously approved in, a, in, in the Senate cloakroom in a, in a late September evening. This is one of them. This is Father Pius Petrick. I'm a Dominican friar of the province of St. Joseph, our eastern province. And I am currently the chair of pastoral studies and professor of canon law at St. Patrick's Seminary. Before becoming a priest, he practiced law for several years at a large firm in Chicago. He's both a civil lawyer and a canon lawyer, which means he's qualified in both U.S. law and the law of the Catholic Church. He also serves as vice chairman of the Legal Services Corporation. The Legal Services Corporation is an outgrowth of really the Johnson era war on poverty, um, and, but it was eventually became its own sort of thing in 1974, uh, signed into law by Richard Nixon. Uh, which created it. And it's not an agency of the federal government, but it was created as a corporation. Basically, the LSC gets money from Congress, which they then give out as grants to provide free civil legal services to the poor. In civil cases, many people living in poverty can't afford lawyers and often have to represent themselves, making them much less likely to win their cases. It's directed to people making 125% or below the poverty level in terms of income. Uh, with civil legal issues, things like housing, things like domestic uh, family issues, income stabilization, veterans issues, that uh, particularly for retired veterans. Uh, those are the kinds of things that we deal with. So how did a Dominican priest get picked for a political appointment like this? Well, apart from Father Pius's legal qualifications, there is one characteristic in particular that made him an attractive choice to sit on the board of the LSC. Well, that's an interesting story. Uh, By tradition, if not by law, the uh, board of directors has always had two what are called client-eligible members, that is, people who would qualify for the services, or that is, poor people. Because Dominicans take a vow of poverty, Father Pius is technically poor. So when the Senate was looking for potential nominees to recommend to President Obama, Someone in the Senate office had an idea. You know, there aren't there these these Catholics out there who take this vow of poverty. And so, in December 2009, President Obama nominated Father Pius for the position. As a lawyer, Father Pius had heard of the LSC and was vaguely aware of what they did. But his appointment was still a big surprise. It was out of the, completely out of the blue for me. I'd never saw this coming. Father Pius is quick to point out that. His hearing was not the flashy, high-profile media affair that often accompanies hearings for Supreme Court nominees. We're used to seeing the big hearing room with the nominee behind the table with a bottle of water there and all the senators arrayed in front of them. Uh, Most, those are only for the very high-level Senate-approved persons, uh, especially for judiciary members. I was a fairly low level of Senate-approved position, so we never had any of that. For my first nominee was really the only time I had much interaction with the committee, and that was just a phone call with some staffers on, on the committee, um, two or three, uh, just on the Democrat side, if I remember right, uh, staffers on that. They had some just brief questions for me. As you might expect, any nominee for a Senate-confirmed position has to be vetted by the FBI. I gave them some people to names that they could interview, which they did. Uh, and they also interviewed people on their own, uh, including our neighbors, parishioners uh, of the parish where I was assigned, which I did not know they were going to do, which gave us a surprise to me. 
At one point during the vetting process, Father Pius was studying in Rome. The FBI doesn't have jurisdiction outside of the territorial boundaries of the United States. So that vetting was actually done by the State Department. It was very similar, but they had just had a retired agent who was living in Europe. And so I met, so I met with the agent there in Rome who uh, came to, through the embassy. They have really nothing to hide. <laughs> nothing that's going to cause major objection. I wasn't, you know, if, you know, foreign agent, I wasn't engaging in some sort of heavy illegal practices. That made it a lot easier. I had no complicated financial uh, situations uh, that would cause embarrassment to the president or anything like that. When you read your speeches, um, the conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you. And Considering the objections that some senators raised to the Catholic faith of Amy Coney Barrett during her confirmation hearings, some people may find it surprising that all three of Father Pius's nominations took place during the Obama administration, an administration not always friendly to people of faith. I understand uh, at least in some ways, there was some consternation uh, because I'm, I mean, I don't, although I'm the client eligible representative, I don't fit the demographic of a poor person, right? I have a University of Chicago law degree. I practiced in a very high powered law firm for three years. And, uh, you know, while I, while I live about poverty, it wasn't as if I, there was any danger of me being on the streets. I don't think my religious community was going to throw me out uh, on the street anytime too soon. So I, that caused, I think, a little bit of grumbling uh, from from some people. I do think that if you are committed to the rule of law and to justice for all Americans, then you have to be committed in some way to a program that provides civil legal services to the poor. We live in a society, that a country that prides itself on the rule of law, and that includes access to justice. And, and in the United States, access to justice is often access to the courts. And when you're a poor person and you can barely have money to feed your family, when you become a victim of injustice in the civil realm, you often have no outlet at all. Right? And, and because you can't hire a lawyer, you can't oftentimes don't have the resources to be able to navigate yourself through a very complicated court system. And so what's left? As we like to say, it's not a right issue or a left issue. It's really an American issue. It's about the fundamental structures of our government, the fundamental questions of justice for uh, the American people. Um, and it's one I really, I never thought I'd uh, like the work as much as I have. I've enjoyed it very much. And a big part of that is because I've seen the people who have been helped by it. But I also see, in a much bigger way, the people who continue to need to be helped by it. And there's far more need, certainly, than we have resources. Um, but we keep trudging along, doing our best, um, and helping as many people as we can. A handful of states have made it illegal for landlords to evict tenants during the pandemic, but many have not. Late last year, Congress extended a moratorium on evictions nationwide until the end of this month, January 2021. And unless that moratorium is renewed, a lot of people are going to find themselves on the streets. You, know, you look in the housing courts in the United States and most of the landlords are represented by the, a lawyer. And almost none of the tenants are represented by a lawyer. And so you've got these fundamental disparities when it comes to as basic a human need and a human right, really, as 
uh, housing issues. We haven't seen the worst of the poverty that has been a result of the COVID, and we'll see it a lot worse if once the evictions crisis really hits. Uh, and so being on the front lines and trying to uh, ameliorate that as much as possible, I think, is something we all really need to be invested in. The outgoing Trump administration was not exactly friendly to the LSC. Although the LSC is set to receive $465 million in funding this year, which is the largest dollar amount ever appropriated, the figure is significantly lower than what the LSC asked for for 2021. The Trump administration's budget, uh, in every single budget, uh, there was the recommendation to zero out our funding, or at least to, to, to wind it down to eventually zero within a year or two. This relatively low funding has real-world effects for grantees, many of which are having to fill in the gaps with their own fundraising. Still, support for the LSC has remained strong in Congress throughout Father Pius's tenure, and he says eventually the administration saw the need to make their own nominees to fill the board of directors. Uh, we're now at a full complement of board members, a number of them appointed by the Trump administration. Uh, I think I think everyone but me was was renominated by the Trump administration. Not that they had anything against me. It's just that there was no need to renominate me. Father Pius's situation is pretty unique. Not many people can say they faced a Senate hearing and been investigated by the FBI and State Department for their job. But Father Pius says you don't need those things to make a difference in your community. Where you can have a great deal of influence is at the local level. Getting involved in helping people who are in need in your own community, in your own town, in your own city, I think that's what Catholics need to be about. And to try as much to avoid all of the political and ideological gamesmanship that goes on sometimes at the national level, and ask yourself what you can do to make your town and community a better place, and what you can do to really see the plight of the poor in your own neighborhood, and what you can do to make a difference with regards to the poor in your own neighborhood. Uh, that, I think, is the task of what Catholics should be doing with regards to their service to, to their fellow men. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. My name is Jonah McKeown, and I was your host this week. I produce and edit this show with the help of our executive producer, Kate Oliveira. Special thanks to everyone we spoke to for this episode, including Guy Lesko of Legal Services Alabama, whose interview we had to cut for time. We'll be praying in a special way over the next few days for peace in our country. We'd love for you to join us. See you in two weeks.